Yeah, hello, uh, Neil Young here. I'm the Managing Director and CEO of ASX Listed Elixir Energy. We are currently focused on two projects in the south of Mongolia, one exploring for and appraising natural gas in the form of coal bed methane. And more recently, we've been using the same strategic insights and skills to build a green hydrogen project in the same location, which uh, we feel has been absolutely validated by a recent development with a very large partner. Neil, good to see you again. I haven't seen you for a while, but you, you're one of you guys did come on the show back in February and kind of went through some technical uh, analysis and, and due diligence with us. So thank, thank you for that. Um, definitely worth a listen. Um, I've got to pick you up though, right? Um, back in 2021, highs of 45 cents. This year, highs of 21. And here we are down at sort of 14, 15 cents today. Given the sector you're in, shouldn't you be doing better than this? What are people not understanding about your project? Well, I suppose there's obviously macro factors such as a, a general view that risk stocks are off. Now, if I can uh, sort of rebut that general view with a specific point of view, and that is resource stocks, particularly energy stocks, absolutely well-located energy stocks, uh, face a fundamentally different paradigm than risk stocks such as tech. Um, the overall market has been you know, more than skittish, it's been full-on bearish. But that, of course, provides buying opportunities, and particularly for companies like ours, which are very well capitalized. We raised funds when the market was, was running hot. Uh, at our last quarterly report, we had $25 million Australian. And uh, as we've mentioned before, the nature of our exploration program, drilling low-cost wells in a low-cost location, means that that's a robust balance sheet that, that lasts for quite a few years. So share price being low is slightly annoying, but it doesn't affect our overall dilution because we don't need to raise. Okay, okay. But nevertheless, it says, well, here's how the market values us today. So. Mm -hmm. What have you got? To do? Are they just not buying the story, the narrative, the plan? I mean, um, what have you got to do to change the fortunes of, of your shareholders? I suppose there, there's clearly the geopolitical situation that's arisen in the last four or five months and a perception that a country located next door to Russia and China is higher risk. Now, I suppose it's our job to educate that uh, there's also uh, opportunity there. And that is, um, uh, I think it's quite clear that uh, China will see gas from Mongolia as being low sovereign risk, gas from Russia as being higher risk, even from their so-called best buddy. I think that will be a very uh, long spoon that they would have to, to eat with that buddy. So we, uh, as we progress through our appraisal efforts, we think it increasingly likely that our ultimate goal of bringing in a large company from China it's a logical place, but not the only place, but the logical one is enhanced by that geopolitical situation, notwithstanding the market's short term doesn't quite get that yet. Okay, but talk to me about the whole the, the geopolitical situation, because I think that's really fascinating, because obviously Europe's high dependency on Russia for gas and, and, and oil, the Europeans are finally sort of, you know, Turning the turning the screws, as it were, and you know buying less, and I think they're hoping to completely sanction that option. But then that just means that those hydrocarbons are going to flow east instead of west. China's going to pick this stuff up cheap. Um, that can't be good for you, um, or, or, or can it? I mean, is there room for you in an environment like that? 
So I'd say that fundamentally this oil and gas are different in this scenario. Oil can move by boat and by pipeline and primarily by boat to China and they're picking up cheap, as you say. However, you cannot switch gas that's pointed towards Europe, towards China, without probably 10 years of investment, a lot of money, and most importantly, a lot of technical skills which have now left Russia. The, the, the majors such as you know, Shell and BP and Exxon are leaving Russia. That, that takes out a lot of expertise to develop these sorts of assets. As significantly, if not more so, the service sector is leaving. So even if Russia and China could agree a price, and it wouldn't be a price that Russia liked, the technical ability to deliver it in the timeframes would be at least a decade. However, we are uh, you know, developing a gas asset which is tens of kilometers from China, which is low tech in terms of its relatively shallow wells. And what we see as being incredibly attractive to the large scale Chinese companies in, in, in the medium term. And, and I think the geopolitics reinforces that rather than retards it. So do you mind if we pick this up? This is, again, sticking on the geopolitics, mm. right? So me as an ex-banker, uh, if I'm looking at that scenario, would I fund a pipeline build from Russia to China or would I, as China, want to fund, fund that? I, I, I've kind of got a question how long this um, Russia-Ukraine situation um, you know, stays in place, hopefully ends soon, um, and how long the sanctions will remain in place, because I think obviously the Europeans are kind of cutting their nose off despite their face and, and causing all sorts of problems uh, economically and obviously short-term in terms of heating, et cetera. Um, so do you, do you feel that, that is an unlikely, like you, you, you've worked in the sector for years, you've done some you know, big, big, big projects. Do you think that's an extremely unlikely process? Because you're early stage too, right? You know, you're not going yeah. to be in production any anytime soon, or whoever buys you is not going to be in production anytime soon. So, do, do you think the likelihood of a, a ten-year time horizon to, to build this stuff is even on the table for discussion? So, I, I'd say that the sort of pipeline that we're looking at, which is a number of hundreds of kilometers, is eminently financeable off their own balance sheets of Chinese companies, the, the national oil companies, obviously, but even the mid-tier energy companies. A pipeline from Siberia to China would cost at least $30 billion. We're talking $300 million. And so it's completely different. The, the involvement of West, Western investment bankers, much as we love them, would not be required. It will be funded off the balance sheets of uh, you know, large to very large Chinese companies. Right. Okay. I'm, I'm just trying to understand where the competition comes in and where the, you know, you know, if your project falls over because people are concerned about, you know, products swamping the Chinese market. So you're, you're saying quite firmly, it's extremely unlikely that that comes along and causes you a problem further down the line. I, I, I absolutely think so. I, I don't think Russia is going to be able to scale up its gas exports in any meaningful time frame. Notwithstanding, there's obviously a range of scenarios can happen. I don't think peace is going to break out and we're going to go back to where we were in January in any sort of you know, likely scenario. Much as I would like that to be the case, I don't, I don't think it will be the case. Um, so I think that we're better located than, than we were, notwithstanding the, the heightened geopolitical tensions, not only with, with Russia, but obviously, you know, more, more slow burning, but with China as well. Okay, so, so let's, let's kind of stick with the, broadly with the ge geopolitical uh, component here. You've got coal bed, methane. It's been out of fashion, in fashion. Where does it sit today? Is, is that an acceptable form? Uh, well, 
Are you, are, are you going to do you foresee any issues coming down the line with coal bed and methane? So I think it, it, it hasn't so much gone out of fashion. It's, it's in different markets that have been different prices have in the US when prices have been like 2 or $3 for years, not now. Uh, CBM uh, was a higher cost product that didn't reach market. Uh, in Australia, where it could be exported to Asia, it, it absolutely grew. Less visibly in China, it is a significant supplier to the Chinese market, albeit in a more fractured sort of way. Uh, our sole insight to take us to Mongolia in the first place is that it can supply from a great location a high price market. So uh, on that sense, we, we, we don't, we're not facing that pricing paradigm that's caused $2 Henry Hub in the States for, you know, for over the last decade. In terms of, I think, your allusion to fossil fuels and concerns about financing them for the medium term, um, I, I think recent events have demonstrated that uh, fossil fuels have a longer life than maybe people thought six months ago. And that is truer for gas than any other form of fossil fuel. Um, the uh, likelihood of gas demand not going up materially in China for decades to come is extraordinarily slight. And in that context, whereby demand's going up, uh, current supply is constrained, new supply from Russia is unlikely, uh, we think we're very well located. Yeah, don't get me on the subject of fossil fuels being... <laughs> just yeah doesn't make sense we need all of the above guys and you know i don't think fossil fuels are going anywhere really and we've got several videos on on the top topic actually justifying why that is the case but back to back to you today um with regards to um your business before we kind of get into the softbank energy and softbank um group um mou You've got to you've got to explain to the market why a I mean 120 million market cap okay shares share prices come off but you know you're, you're 120 million market cap companies so it's not not nothing for early exploration but you've got to show what your business model is in the interview we did in February you talked about step outs not just. 200, 400 meters, but you took entirely new basins, right? Hundreds of kilometers away. I'm not sure people kind of get the way that you come at this asset. What are you, what are you trying to do by doing that? Shouldn't you be like focused on showing people how you make money? So we, our team largely comes from big companies and indeed from people who've made small companies into big companies. And we realized that in the resources sector, there's a very efficient uh, ecosystem whereby small guys find things, appraise them, and then if they are attractive, big guys come in and develop them. And they're only attractive if they're big. So if you go and get a, a small gas resource and develop it, a big company is not going to care. Um, however, we've got a very large asset. Um, my cliche is that our license area is the size of Belgium. It's, it's uh, you know, 30,000 square kilometres. And what that means is that our exploration efforts you know, span hundreds of kilometers in each direction. It's, Mongolia is underexplored compared to a mature country like the States or indeed Australia. Um, uh, but we are exploring across that area. We're adding sub-basins that have coals in, in the right depth for CBM. We have some areas that are more advanced than others, and we, we can talk about production testing later. But what we're doing is building up bit by bit an asset that will be attractive to a big boy. And then we go, well, 100 million market cap, it could be a billion dollar asset, you know, do, do the maths. Um, and uh, uh, that's not improbable. 
Right. It's not guaranteed. <laughs> it's, no, it's, well, it's, it's not. And lots of people have big acreage. It's, it's a question of what, what you do. You, and I get that you've got, well, in terms of last quarter, 25 million bucks, but it's, it's, it's what you do with that money and to, and to what end. So when you say we need to show that it's, you've got big scale, should you be like focused on one basin at a time rather than bouncing around between basins on, on your, on your land package? I mean, how do you build big assets that the big boys are interested in? And clearly focusing on, on, on one area can de-risk that. And, and we do have a most mature area, which we're demonstrating the process of de-risking through the production testing. And that's great. And that's an important message. But we can walk and chew gum at the same time. So we can do that and add sub-basins uh, in other areas. And we're, we've now got three rigs working. We'll soon have four, then five. Uh, and that's notwithstanding the, the, the trauma of the last few years in terms of COVID, but also uh, I think they're pretty much global issues of supply chain disruptions. Um, that affects us in terms of supplying equipment through China, but we've tried to have a bit of foresight. Uh, we've tried to have long leads ordered well in advance. And basically uh, things are going to, to the rough plan that we set out. Right. But, but or, I mean, again, um, Chinese, Chinese border has been sort of, well, not hard closed it's not far off wasn't not much is moving i mean have things changed have got a little bit easier on that front or are you having to find alternative routes to get your uh, materials and long lead items in now you're correct the border border is pretty uh, strong just now and naturally reflective in my view entirely of xi jinping's desire to demonstrate that his covid policy works and he will uh, pursue that for the rest of this year until he's elected um, dictator for life or whatever his aspiration is. Um, however, there are channels that go through the border. And the primary one that we're shipping our equipment through is the rail, which goes from Beijing through Mongolia to, to Russia. And we, we have organized and booked containers for the long lead items for our, our production test on that. We can also ship smaller items by air, and we've done so, for instance, uh, in connection with tools to measure wind and solar resources for our, for our renewable stroke hydrogen project. Right, okay, okay. Well, let, let's come on to that, okay? So with, with Big Fanfare, um, SoftBank, obviously I think everyone has heard of SoftBank. There's a SoftBank Energy specifically. You've just signed an MOU, with a sort of two-year framework, you know, um, turnable within 30 days. So it sounds like a fairly loose arrangement because with no minimum or maximum spend required on e either side. I mean, what exactly is it? It seems to be they're having a little sniff around, is it, or is it more, more significant than that? And I think the, the key to an MOU, which, as you say, is generally a non-binding document in most of its uh, aspects, is big companies don't sign them readily. And Japanese big companies don't side them readily squared. And uh, uh, depending on how you measure it, SoftBank is Japan's second largest company, although, although obviously more entrepreneurial and fast growing than most of its much uh, older peers. So the fact of obtaining that signature from a Japanese company is material, notwithstanding the document itself is only a platform to build a binding arrangement uh, in due course. So we think that, that that's pretty significant. Um, now we sign MOUs with smaller companies and that's nice, but this, this is genuinely material. And I think both parties now are committed to pursue different activities that ultimately should lead to a binding arrangement 
within the well short of the time frame of, of two years under the MOU. So what's the expectation? They, they, they talk about more broadly about what, you know, what's bits and mobility, right? So they're, they're, they're all in. They're all in on, on yeah. what's happening at the moment in terms of the, the, the different thematics you covered, covered by those three words. What do they expect from your project? What, are they, what do they need out of you? What do they need to see to kind of stay on board? You know, and what's the potential in terms of their balance sheet helping this project come through? Because they're, you know, they're big. So they, they've been in Mongolia actually for, for 10 years. So they, they see the vision of exporting energy by poles and wires or by, by hydrogen through pipeline. And they've seen that for quite a while. Um, uh, they are a company that is associated with the word vision, uh, the, the manager of the vision fund. They like long-term projects that have enormous scale. And this project is intensely scalable. Mongolia's renewable energy resources are very, very large. And China's potential demand over the decades to come is, is also very, very large. So I think they love that long-term vision and they love the scalability of it. Now, in terms of finance, as you say, they've got a pretty big balance sheet, but probably more significant, they have the skills to take assets to where they're most highly valued, you know, to, for example, to the NASDAQ for a tech stock or, or maybe you know, even a hydrogen project could ultimately be taken to an exchange where it was most highly valued. And they have the ability to leverage you know, other people's money, to, to use Danny DeVito's phrase, if you're as old as me. And uh, that uh, could be from vision fund type equivalents. And uh, these sorts of projects are also eminently scalable in terms of debt. And we and SoftBank are engaging the financial institutions who, who desperately want to make these sorts of projects happen. Well, well, tell me about that because if I if I'm a Rick and a retail investor, every time I hear the word hydrogen, it, it, you know, it's not going anywhere. The, you know, the oil and gas industry have got big lobbying groups. Hydrogen's getting no coverage whatsoever. What's actually happening on the ground in terms of groups like this, SoftBank and, and others, trying to build out this hydrogen economy, whether it's you know green, blue, brown, whatever. Um, and what's their chances of success? Because there's very little infrastructure. There's very little known about it in the marketplace. And I'm, I'm wondering what reaction it gets, if it, even if it does go onto those various exchanges. What, 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 what are the, what's the industry doing today? And, and what's SoftBank going to be capable of doing for you with regards to this project over and above the kind of financing component? So I, I suppose SoftBank have made a lot of money by being close to China. Um, uh, early stage investor in Alibaba, most famously. So one of the key attributes they bring to us is an ability to engage with customers and off-takers in a way that's just you know, not feasible at all for a small company like us. So that, that's an intensely important skill. To go back to your point about the oil and gas companies, uh, a lot of them are investing a lot in hydrogen, sometimes, in my view, throwing darts at dartboards, um, BP, for instance, recently bought into a very large project in Australia. And our fundamental view is that, you know, I live in Australia and I love it, but I think exporting hydrogen is not going to be feasible because hydrogen is expensive to move and you go to the location that's nearest the market. That's why we're in Mongolia. Clearly, I think SoftBank have bought into that thesis. The likes of BP or whatever might buy into it as well. And hello, here's my number if you, if you want to buy us. Um, but you know, we're moving beyond that slightly facetious point in the short term, 
we do see money going into hydrogen. I think only the best projects will work. We've been very carefully thinking about why our project could be one of the winners. And the key point to go back to the earlier issue of signing an MOU is validation of the thesis. Doesn't mean it's going to work, but now we've got a firm platform from a party with brains and muscle to actually build upon that thesis. Okay. Let's see, let, let's let's see what they do, and let, let's you know hope that they stay engaged and, and involved. You've got twenty five million bucks or thereabouts. What are you doing with it over the next twelve months in an environment like this, where I think quite a few companies are, well, one running out of cash and a bit nervous to raise money, um, and two, even if they've got money, hunkering down. What do you, what's your plan? Well, certainly not hunkering down. You never know when markets are going to turn. I think if you hunker down, you can just bleed to death. Um, we are uh, continuing to explore and appraise. We've done each year by year, we've done more work. We're doing more wells this year than we've ever done. We're doing like 20 plus. And the key uh, differential point this year is undertaking an extended production test. That's that's a number of million dollars in that. That is uh, drilling wells, completing them, putting down pumps and pumping fluid out of the CBM reservoir, initially water, then gas. And if that comes out at the rates that we believe it will, then that will validate commerciality in that particular sub-basin. Then we will go and repeat that in other locations, as we mentioned earlier. That sort of de-risking is important, and it's being pursued in parallel with adding the raw resources in other locations. Okay. So and we, so, what, in terms of communication to the marketplace, you've been fairly quiet and cautious about what are you going to feed into the market. You kind of do these, these, these sort of quarterly activities reports, right? Are you going to kind of step that up a little bit or are you going to, that's the pace at which you're content with talking to the market about what you're actually doing on the ground? Well, I think that the SoftBank MOU provides an opportunity to escalate that communication. It's a counterparty that people have mostly heard of. And, uh, and if not, they can be rapidly uh, educated that uh, by Neil that it's the second biggest company in Japan. Um, and hydrogen, you know, people sort of know what it's about, but they need education. And that's where we are coming in and hammering the point that locational advantage is critical in our view. And here, here's the maths as to why. Here's the validation as to why. And we, we will, uh, or are now, and including this interview, escalating that communication of that. Okay, well, Neil, look, I appreciate the update. Um, congrats on the SoftBank Energy MOU. Like you say, it, it may sound a bit loose, but the reality is they always do. Um, stay in touch. Let us know how you get on. I'm intrigued to see how this evolves. Thanks, Matt, as always, and look forward to the next update.